And in three, two, one. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Investment Property Income Podcast. My name is Jeff Eady. Joining me today, as always, one of Canada's top mortgage brokers, the immutable, the intellectual, the, well, downright handsome, Jonathan Tilger. Jonathan, how are you today? I am awesome, Jeff. I was going to say, you go, you go through the thesaurus before we start talking today and just had to pull out a few new words. Uh, how, how are you doing? I, 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 I may have had a couple of too many pops last night. That's all right. Oh, one of those nights, was it? I was inducted by Space Invaders. Uh, <laughs> it's actually the beer. Um, <laughs> no, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Just a little groggy. The mind may not be working at the usual pace, but that's okay. Because uh, all I have to do is ask questions. <laughs> <laughs> and how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing phenomenal. Phenomenal. Good, good. So we've got a lot going on in parts of the business. There's craziness. There's international stuff happening. All that stuff is fantastic. But let's talk about what's going on here at home, JT. Big election coming up. Not going to expose my politics, but I know who I don't want to win. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so um, we were both just looking at an article here uh, regarding stretching the amortization rate to 30 years to help housing affordability on high ratio mortgages. So we'd be talking mostly, I think, our, our first time home buyers at that point, or perhaps yeah. somebody who's gone through a bankruptcy and divorce and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a first time home buyers, or as you said, people who are for various reasons are re-entering the market typically. Although some people, as, as we both know, we've discussed, there are strategies where, hey, buying your second home, you can do it with 5 or 10% down and rent out the current place. But, uh, but primarily, we're talking about the, the newer people into the market. Yep. Uh, I love that strategy, by the way. Every time I hear that, I'm just like, wow, mind blown. I love, love that strategy. It's actually, uh, I wonder how many people put that to work in their investing lives. Probably not many. Not, not many. Well, it's, it's something that really it's a strategy you got to do, I'd say, earlier in your investing career, because after you've got a few rentals, it's a tougher one to sell to lenders. And, and quite frankly, typically, as you've got a few, then you, you've got the equity that you don't need to. Yeah. So I'd imagine it only work once, maybe twice. <laughs> yeah, you could do it a potentially. Poten- well, you can do it potentially a few times. It's one of those we just got to look at the overall situation and say from the lender standpoint, does it make sense? And is it realistic? So it depends. Yes, exactly. You, you, you know the answer. We've had this discussion a few times. So let's talk about it because it was an interesting article. They had a few different uh, people weigh in on the subject. Let's start with an opinion, Jonathan, good or bad, 30-year amortizations. I think it's actually a good thing. And the reason being is because it's essentially it's the people who are often struggling to get in the market. It helps them, them out the most. And by so, struggling... No, no, go ahead. Sorry. And by struggling, I was just saying that the, the newer people into the market who are looking to buy their first property, who don't have the equity to propel them forward. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but would that, I mean, the article kind of left off of the same kind of question I had, would that raise the floor on everything else so that you have more investors coming out and scooping up the properties and everything raises in price again? That's one of those what ifs that I don't think you can ever truly answer because you don't know until it actually happens. I, I, 
it may have some effect. I don't think it would be huge. Okay. And, and the, the, the reason being is because they're, they're competing against the people who have 20% down, who can go in 30-year amortization already when you're talking about the investor market. Hmm, that's fair. And so so if, if you've got a first-time buyer who's saying, well, I got to qualify under 25-year AM versus this other person who's got 20% down can qualify under 30-year, it's kind of like, well, I, 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 I've got a stick and you've got a slingshot. Who's going to win here? <laughs> it's a weird analogy. Uh, <laughs> kind of biblical. Um, <laughs> David and Goliath. <laughs> weird. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so the NDP government is, well, I am not a socialist. Just going to say that experiment has been done. Not a fan. Didn't seem to work anywhere else in the world. However, um, the NDP is proposing uh, the 30-year amortization. Do you think that would be enough to lower the barrier? Or actually, you know, before I get there, didn't we used to have a 30-year amortization on, on high-ratio mortgages? Previously, we did. When I first got into the business, we actually had up to 40 years. 40 years? Yes. Why did they change that? Why did they drop it down? Uh, yeah. they, they, they dropped it down because, I mean, the 40-year the came into effect, <clears throat> really, I'd say, echoing what was happening in the U.S. We were starting to loosen some lending standards, not to the same, same degree that happened there. Uh, but really, the 40-year disappeared after the whole collapse happened in the U.S. That's where they started saying, hey, we've got to look at some things and tighten it up. And so they dropped it from 40 to 35, then from 35 to 30, and now we're at 25. Wow. So it wasn't really that <clears throat> gradual a process. It was only 13 years ago. Yeah, it was, yes. That's crazy. Huh. So I think it would... I guess we've seen the results of longer amortization rates, uh, periods, sorry. So it's a good thing long-term, unless people are scared of what happened in the States. Well, uh, the, what people look at is, says, I don't want to pay this off over 30 years or 35 years. It really comes down to, it's something to help, to help keep your payments lower to get into the market. And that's what the, the article we spoke about was reality is, is it just means that, that, a little less of your money is going towards the principal every single mm -hmm. month, which lowers, which lowers the payment that you're making. Mm -hmm. it, will, it will extend out the mortgage amount as far as the amount of time it's being paid over. But if, uh, if someone's smart and they take that money and put it into other, into other assets that could potentially grow at a faster rate, it can actually put them in a better financial situation long-term. So is what you're saying... <laughs> that people really need to switch the mindset from paying off the house and living debt-free to how do I make my money actually work for me? That is a big part of it right there. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry, as we're talking, sometimes the light bulb comes on and that is the old school way of thinking, buy the house, pay it off, live mortgage-free. I think that's less and less possible for people nowadays, first of all, uh, because of the refinancing that takes place. Well, let me ask you, in your years of, of brokering experience, did you have a lot of clients pay off their house before they moved or anything like that? Uh, I'd say generally speaking, no. And, and a big part of that is once someone starts getting into the lower years of their mortgage, they stop needing my services. Fair. And, Fair. and so, and, and so, and so 
could I, I, I mean, if I go back, I've been in the business for a little bit over 13 years now, and there are probably some clients who have paid a big chunk or even potentially paid it off. But, uh, but quite frankly, those, those are clients who are not my clients long-term because they, I mean, they made the decision, Hey, this is how we're going to do things. So I, I think even, even more than trying to pay off or trying to pay off the home or using the, the, the money for other assets, I think the switch needs to be about building equity as opposed to, to anything else. Understanding that maybe you don't ever pay your house off because you use it in other ways or opening up the possibility that you're just building a, it's a bank account. Yeah, it, exactly. And that's, uh, I know that when you talk about that, it's, it's a bank account or it's a source of, of revenue or whatever else. I know that uh, there is a mindset with certain financial planners, and I've talked to some of them. And and well, I shouldn't say just certain certain financial planners, but but part of when you're looking at financial planning is looking at the house as an asset when you get to the retirement stage, mm-hmm. and how can you use that? And there's different ways that that they say, well, you can tap into it, you can use a reverse mortgage, or sometimes a strategy is, hey, sell it, downsize, or sell it and rent. Mm-hmm. But if people look and say, well, if I'm going to use the asset when I'm 70 years old to help pay for my cost of living, if they actually looked at it when they're 30 or 40 and say, well, if I use this asset now, when I get to 70, I don't need to use that house as an asset to live off of anymore because I'm able, I could accelerate myself to a point where I don't need the house as an asset. Hmm. You know. It's interesting. I love how we even had a discussion about this. You know, if this conversation goes in a different way, then we'll 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 we'll, we'll talk about that too. And and it's amazing sometimes how we go completely off of you know the NDP saying that they're going to do something to now shifting the mindsets of Canadians to stop thinking about paying off their mortgages. Yeah, and and, and I'm not saying don't pay your mortgage, don't pay it off. Uh, pay, <laughs> don't pay. make your mortgage payments. That's a good thing. <laughs> make your mortgage payments definitely. And don't, don't make the goal to not pay the mortgage off, but it's really about having a discussion saying, is there something as I'm building equity in the house, and this ties in with, uh, with our tax deductible investment strategy and other, other, other different systems we've got that you can really look to say, how can I use the equity I'm building up in my house just through making regular mortgage payments in addition to the value of the house going up? How can I use that to better to better my financial situation. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because the way you're saying things is kind of opening up my mind to just looking at it different. That yes, you know, the idea will be to pay off the house at some point, but you don't ever need to if you've got assets that are going to produce the income that you need monthly. But um, I'm just thinking because I recently went through this with my, my aunt, I helped her uh, move into a retire assisted living facility and um, she sold her house and she's living off of the, the asset. Um, Plus she's got a fixed income. She's on a a pension from her uh, survivor's pension from Ford. But all that being said, a, her situation is probably one of very few left in Canada where they have a pension of any kind. Like that, those jobs are few and far between nowadays. They still, they still have them, but they're not, they're not as they used to be. That's for sure. No, no, no kidding. My uncle worked for Ford for 
don't know how many years he retired with a darn good pension. Yeah. But for more and more Canadians, um, more and more people around the world, those pensions are disappearing. And moreover, um, sometimes those companies don't last long enough for those pensions to be paid out. Yeah. You know, uh, I remember my friend a couple of years ago saying, oh, this company had never fold. This company never fold. Then COVID hit and he didn't work for a year. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, dude, see, you, you really need to make sure that you're taking care of your financial future. There's no guarantee that a company is going to be doing it. Oh, exactly. Exactly. I mean, the company can have the best intentions. Uh, but as you say, if, if the company goes through financial hard times, then what happens? And is the... They, I mean, and when you look at the pension world, there's kind of two different types. You've got the defined contribution versus defined benefit. The defined benefit I can states never remember out, which one's which. The, the, the defined benefit states out, hey, here's how much you're going to get paid year mm -hmm. over year. Uh, maybe index for inflation may not be, but versus defined contribution is that, yeah, every single year that you work here, this much will go towards your personal pension. And then essentially you can do with it as you choose. And that's that just, I mean, we got a complete side topic here as we sometimes get into. Let uh, it but, flow, but, baby, let it flow. But, <laughs> and, and, and it's one of those, if you do have, if you do have a pension, one of the things you, that you want to look at as the pension holder is what's happening with that pension. Because mm -hmm. there are situations where, hey, you've got this pension and you've got essentially a cash value that you could take it, take it out as, and mm -hmm. you could then do with it kind of, I, I'll, I'll say as you please, but basically it just means you can take it out and you can you can use it and you can invest it by your by your direction as opposed to when, once exactly as opposed to you <laughs> as opposed to when you turn this age, here's what you're getting paid. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and it's one of those if you're approaching that age where hey, it's time to make a decision on that, have a serious look at it. Because I've heard of situations where, hey, someone's, well, they're going to be getting $40,000 a year as a pension. That's pretty good. But the reality is, is that that pension, if they cash it out, they'd get a few million dollars. Mm -hmm. And if that's invested the right way, that could be worth a whole lot more than $40,000 a year. Oh, yeah. That's, you know, it's, it's always funny. You know, I am no fan of the RRSP. Um, but I've had so many people over the years uh, sit down and we go through their financial game plan. And, and a lot of people are, you know, especially self-employed people that maybe don't understand investing will be putting money into their RSP or just regular employed people will be putting into their RSP because that's what they've learned. Uh, and, you know, we always have a different discussion when that happens, but I always love it when you've got uh, somebody who, who works for a company that has a pension plan and they match their contributions into their RRSP. Like, oh, do you think I should be doing this? I'm like, absolutely, you should. Yeah. <laughs> and as the only time I, I contradict myself on that was, you know, those pensions, if, if they're uh, being matched by your employer, holy crap, that's free money. Oh, exactly. Exactly. So if you say you got 20,000 a year, you can put into your RSP. I don't know the exact numbers. Don't quote me on that one, but it's somewhere in 20s, I think, I think the max. 18,000, I think. Yeah. yeah. So if, if you say, well, if I, if I put in nine, they're going to match me, then yeah, put in your nine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and at that point, it's not a tax strategy. It's a free money strategy. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and now you can now you can implement the tax strategy with it. Yeah. Which is great, which you've also talked about doing it at the right time to buy a house and using the, the write-off to go back against the mortgage that you're getting if you do it at the right time of year. I don't remember how you did all of that. That was sort of like... <laughs> 
<laughs> Al- alchemy, as you say, <laughs> turning lead into gold. But that's a pretty, pretty crazy strategy itself. So let's get back to the amortization. Do you think we should go back to a 45 or 50 year amortization to help people get in the market? I think jumping, jumping that high would be probably a little too much too soon. Yeah. But, but go, going out to going out to 30, I think going back to 30, mm-hmm. I think makes a lot of sense because it will help the younger people and the people who, for various circumstances, get back into the market. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to affect their down payment. That's pretty much just going to stay the same, right? Exactly. Exactly. What it's going to affect, it's going to affect, number one, what they can qualify for mm-hmm. and also will affect their, their monthly carrying costs, which let's face it, when you're... When you're buying your first property, those monthly carrying costs, if they can be lower, it's far better for you. Just so, so you can allocate your funds elsewhere to help, uh, if nothing else, give you a little bit of a cushion should there be some, a situation like we're in right now where people are losing jobs. So this is interesting. I, I love connecting the dots on all of this stuff um, and just seeing how it's all tied together. So I guess really the need for the amortization extension comes as a result of the higher prices. Yes and no. Uh, that's, that's part of it. Uh, but, but also is just to keep the, the home payments lower. I mean, the, the, re, the rationale when they reduced it down to 25 from 30 was, well, we want to make things more affordable for people going, no, you've made it more challenging for people, but that's... <laughs> Yeah, well, no, it's, 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 just, it's interesting. I was looking at the income qualifications there that they had stated um, that it was like 108000 uh, yearly for a $600,000 home at 2.5%, I believe, are the numbers that we saw there. I'm yep. not a numbers guy, but I can regurgitate like a son of a gun. Um. <laughs> Versus 96, 96, give or take, for, with a 30-year. Uh, with, with yeah. So that really is where I start to look at the housing prices for me have affected that income because you have to have your debt service ratios and all that stuff in line. Um, how many people are at $108,000 a year income right now? It's the, and, and what it kind of alluded to in there is that a lot of the people who are, you know, we've, we've talked about emigration over the last 10 years or so driving the market up so much, but um when you look at a lot of the people who are immigrating here, they're, they're not coming to work as doctors and lawyers because their, their licenses or whatever aren't um, transferable. So they have to go back to school and all this stuff. So they end up working at McDonald's or, or uh, service jobs that are typically 30K a year. Yep. How, how are those people ever going to get into the market even at 96,000 a year uh, income qualification? Yeah, well, that's, that's where, and, and part of it, part of it, and this goes back to the discussion about the minimum wage and what should it be and all these other things, but it's essentially saying, for the most part, when you talk about minimum wage and those types of things, th- this is not your long-term career strategy. This is, hey, this is a stepping stone you need to do to, to get some experience, to get whatever else, so you can get the experience and move yourself up the pay scale. Well, that is always something that I, I learned, like Jim Rohn many years ago talking about we get paid for uh, the value that we add to the market. Yes. So I, I find that very interesting. And I've always said that, you know, as, as low as minimum wage is, it is the first rung on the ladder. You're not supposed to stay there. Yeah. 
you're supposed to become better and, and grow and get experience and move up the, you know, even if you're at McDonald's, move up to become a manager and then you can become regional and all those things. But I think more and more we are seeing that people are, you know, we're in the era of the McJob, as I've said so often, because a lot of the institutions that used to be really good employers um, of, of people long term don't exist anymore. And I think, um, especially in rural communities, we, we've seen that a lot. I remember, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, seeing my friend's parents having great jobs that they work at forever and have all sorts of benefits and pensions and all of those things. Um, may not be the most glamorous jobs, but, you know, even grocery clerks were making $25, $30 an hour back in the 90s, which is insane. But um, now we're finding a lot of those people have those jobs have dried up and you see a lot of older people working at McDonald's or Tim Hortons or things like that. So do you think 30 is enough to stretch that market? I think as a stepping stone, I mean, you, you want, you, you don't want to shock the market and suddenly say, Hey, now we're 40. And it's really, I, I think if you're going to do it, I mean, extend it to 30 and see what happens. You can always drop it back to 25. You can, and if the decision is, hey, we can extend it back out or extend it further out, that's down the road. But, but I believe in, hey, let the old adage, you want to walk before you run. So if of you're going to make a change, start, start with, start with an incremental change. Of course. Um, yeah. Very, very interesting topic today, Jonathan. I, uh, uh, it just makes me think a little more just about the mentality of, of people. We've talked, we've, we've talked about mindset on here before. Um, what do you think would be the biggest shift to help Canadians right now with their mindset? It's, I mean, I think it goes back to what we said earlier, which is recognize that essentially your future don't, don't rely on, don't rely on someone else to take care of your future. Mm -hmm. You've got to do the steps to take care of your own future. Yeah. You know, I, I'd agree with you on that. I don't always agree with you, but when I do, <laughs> it's not a good idea. Uh, <laughs> no, you know what? hundred percent take care of your well, own future. Well, it's... I, I'm just going back to what you said almost verbatim. So <laughs> <laughs> So you're agreeing that, with yourself. Good like work, that yeah. idea. Good work. Good work. <laughs> <laughs> I can't reach my back. Uh, <laughs> be a little pat there. Yeah, no, that's, I think you're hundred percent right though, Jonathan. I think if people really start thinking of their home as a means to creating more wealth, instead of the home as a home, I understand that we all want to live in, in a place that we're comfortable in and that has memories and all of those things. But the bricks and mortar are not the same as the bank account behind it. And you get to use that bank account. And moreover, there is so much information out there available and a lot of it for free. Heck, we've got 61 or two episodes of, the pod of this podcast that is all about this and among a million other things. But I'm not just talking about us, but everybody, everybody needs to, to get that in their minds that, hey, you know what? The world is a very scary place and, and I need to start learning about how money works. Otherwise, you can get wiped out pretty easy. Yeah. You know, I feel very fortunate for my aunt. You know, once we got her moved and the house sold and everything, she sold at a very high market, which was great. But 
what happens when real estate has a downturn and it doesn't jive with your plan? It's not if, it's when. It's going to happen yep. at some point. Yep. It always does. But, you know, your timing, you know, that's that's the big thing is your timing could totally be screwed up by that real estate downturn. You know, if my aunt looked at doing this in the wrong market, she wouldn't have enough money to live on. Yeah. Plain and simple. So it's uh, it's kind of kind of scary to think about what can happen if you're not taking control of your financial future. Sorry, I get off on a tangent there, but <laughs> <laughs> no, it just got me thinking. I love my aunt Bev, and I'm glad she's safe and secure and happy and all of those things. But my goodness, if the market had taken a downturn a year ago, she wouldn't be able to do what she's doing now. And we all expected it when 2020 hit. So, hmm. food for thought. <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> good one today jonathan anything you want to say to close out just always a pleasure speaking with you thank you everyone for tuning in uh glad glad you found us and glad glad you're enjoying our podcast yeah thanks so much jonathan i always appreciate your time and thank you for listening we really appreciate your time and my goodness i hope we add value when you're listening uh if you want to find more about what jonathan and i do you can always download the book to be co-authored together investment property income book at investmentpropertyincomebook.com of course you can join our meetup on meetup.com the investment property income meetup trying to keep the branding all in line here and uh we do a couple live events uh actually pretty much one every week so we'd love to see you out there and of course if you want to get hold of jonathan you can always shoot him an email at jonathan at a mortgage jt thanks so much appreciate you appreciate you for listening have a fantastic day and we'll see you soon